So I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so I've been doing fun interviews. That continues. I today have Mike Turian. Hey, Mark. Uh, it's it's good to not be in your car. Yes. Well, uh, you, you join me on my drive to work. Man, this used to mean something. <laughs> now it's sitting in my den. Okay, so I, I'll start with a question I've been asking everybody. How did you get into magic? Okay, so I started playing magic. Uh, the first pack of magic that I purchased was the dark. Uh, so a couple of years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and the, the way it sort of happened was originally I had heard about magic through, I was uh, in high school at the time and, you know, in English class, sort of in the back of the room, these guys, they were playing this card game. I didn't really know what it was, but you know, it looked fun. It looked interesting. And they actually taught me uh, to play when we were at sort of this uh, overnight camp. And, you know, I kind of treated it as like any other sort of board game of like, hey, that, that was a fun evening activity. But then uh, I my mom sent me uh, to a different uh, leadership training program. I remember the name Slap very well. It was like student leadership something something. And, <laughs> and, and which I, uh, me and my high school friends, of course, had uh, uh, fun times with. Uh, and at that uh, at that activity, my friend Ari Stulman Every day, it was a week-long program, and on Monday, he's like, hey, you got to come check out this game. And on Tuesday, he said it again. And I, and finally, when he asked me for the third time on Wednesday, uh, I was like, all right, fine. Like, I could tell he was just going to ask me on Thursday and Friday, too, right? So uh, it was just easier to go along. Uh, we went down to the card store, and lo and behold, it was that same card game that uh, that I'd been playing you know, a few months prior. Now, I really wish I had sort of picked it up a few months prior, right, and just gotten in even more at the ground floor, of course. But, uh, yeah, we we bought some Dart. We, we uh, started playing with Revised. And, you know, I, I remember opening it up, and it totally blew my mind. Just at the time, it was so unlike any other game I'd ever played. You know, the fact that you could customize the components as you went, was such a novel and fun idea for me uh, that I, I fell in love, and you know, here we are, twenty-five plus years later, and you know, I was I was playing Jumpstart on Magic Arena last night, so uh, I, I clearly still love it. Okay, so how old were you when you started? Man, I, I'm. It was between my freshman and sophomore years of high school, so I, I think I think that means I was either thirteen or fourteen. Uh, you know, I. Yeah, I must. I must have been. I'm gonna say 14 if I'm. But that's is a long time ago. That that's what I really remember. Okay, so did you play continually since then? Like up till we'll get to your Wizards days. Did you play continually or did you stop for a while? Uh, no. I I mean, yeah, I I was really hooked. Um, the first I played in my first event. Uh, you know, so if I started playing, I'll say in like August or September. Right, which, I, if I recall, is about when the dark came out. Um, I, I played in my first event in November, and I came in second place. It was like an eighty-person event, and I really loved the the tournament scene. I mean, eventually, I would go on to to play in pro tours and whatnot. Um, but the the tournaments and that the the constant events really always kept me engaged. Right, so even if there was you know a month or two where 
you know, I was focusing on other things, I would still be playing Magic, you know, and uh, traveling to events, even at basically all the time. The only the only sets for me that I really don't have as much experience with are actually when I joined Wizards later on. Like you know, you have that sort of gap in time as we work on sets ahead of time. Right. So there were there were a couple of sets in the Champions, uh, like uh, in the Kamigawa block, that I just had a lot less experience with because of jumping ahead in time. But no, I mean I've I've played, I've played weekly, daily, uh, monthly. You know, ever since I've started playing. Okay, so we only have a half an hour, and you've worked with Wizards a long time, so. Uh, you played on the Pro Tour. You did really well. You made the Hall of Fame. We're not even going to get into that. That that could be its own <laughs> podcast. But you obviously had a lot of success. Uh, so how did you get to Wizards? Okay, so, uh, yes, that, that sort of... I like how we consolidated my Hall of Fame <laughs> magic career into, into a, a into, small sound bit. F- 15 uh, seconds. You did a lot. You made the Hall of Fame. Boom. Move, moving boom, on. Boom. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of played flights here and there and everywhere. Uh, so... Through through the course of that, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Randy Bueller and become teammates with Randy uh, during that whole uh, that whole uh, Hall of Fame uh, Pro Tour career time. And uh, Randy would go on, you know, and uh, join Magic R and D. And at the time, he was the director of Magic R and D. And so he basically, you know, every every fall they'd be looking for new interns or new contractors to join. And, you know, Randy as the director of magic R and D had full hiring power. And so basically my interview with Randy was because they were looking for, you know, play designers, like people who could really play test and assess the power level of cards. Um, so I had, I drove out to Seattle after graduating from the university of Pittsburgh and I was just crashing on a friend's couch, basically knowing that, Hey, this, contract opportunity would be coming up uh, again and so my interview process was actually randy invited me out to uh lunch uh at a mexican restaurant and i had my interview for the contract position over the lunch and basically randy was like look you know you're here there's no one i would rather have join uh magic r&d in this role and so uh that was my that was my interview right and it was so great that of course the pro tour meant that you know i'd already met uh, you know, people like you, Mark. Um, so I was already kind of known uh, within Magic R&D, so there was just a little less of that uh, typical formality of interviews. Um, so yeah, that was really it. I, I went to a Mexican le- restaurant for lunch, and I, I started uh, a couple weeks later uh, in Magic R&D. What was the first thing you worked on? Uh, the first the first set I was, um, I was on was... Guild Pact as uh, that I was actually on the team for. Uh, I did play testing for Ravnica. Uh, you know, Saviors of Kamigawa was basically totally done uh, by the time that I had showed up. So, like, I was playing FFL with those cards, but uh, they were they were complete. Um, so that sort sort of gives you the time frame. Also, uh, I think Cold Snap team sort of. Uh, Fired up around that time, so I was on the Cold Snap team as well. Um, so yeah, it was many okay. years ago. I remember, I remember, uh, I had a book of that that had all the magic cards in it, right? All the magic images in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think Gather even existed back uh, back when I started. I'd have to double check, but I remember at the time looking at that, and then 
sort of being like, okay, this is all of magic that has existed before I started working on magic, right? And now, now you know, the amount of cards we've put out like would weigh would weigh overwhelm that. So I'm super proud of all the work that you know we've done making so many fun cards. Okay, so the first set you led uh, that you're on the development lead was Scars of Mirrodin, correct? Well, Scars of Mirrodin was the first uh, the first large set that I. Uh, oh, what did you lead before Scars of Mirrodin? So. So the first set I was the lead for, I believe, was Future Sight. Oh, right? Future so Sight, okay. Right, yeah. So the sets, the, the sets I led as a developer uh, or final designer, as we now call them, uh, Scars of Mirrodin, Worldwake, Conflux, Morning Tide, Future Sight. Uh, so yeah, so imagine being, uh, you know, I mean, I've worked now in R&D for a couple of years by the time this all came up, but then Future Sight was the... Oh, sorry, Future, okay, I, I think I had the list backwards. So Future Sight's your first set. So that was a challenging for that to lead the development on yeah absolutely that was that was something else like hey we're gonna show all of these crazy mechanics and we want to be predicting the future of magic and uh you know so that was and of course you know as you've told many times before it was a set where we were initially were planning on introducing planeswalkers right so all of this all of this was uh we were looking to jam into, I believe, a hundred eighty cards set. Yeah, the the story I often tell is we do something called hole filling, where we give out stuff for people to make cards. And so for future site, we we had the future shift of cards with the cards from the future. And you you did a hole filling, and you came to me and you go, none of it works, Mark. You I need you to make me cards, make me some future cards. Right. Yeah. No. That's totally. <laughs> That, that that I think really encapsulates how Future Sight went as a design because it's just so out of the box, yeah. right? Like it's outside outside of the box, um, and and working on that, it just you know I, I was really glad to to be able to tap into your insight and designs there uh, because you just need to really have a really strong fundamental understanding of what matters in design to sort of understand what the future could even be right and to to project that yeah so that was a, like i said that was a challenging first set so the that's the first set you led the second set you led was morning tide which was yeah. in the lorman block uh and that was um i had the brilliant idea of having the first set be a uh race tribal set and the second set being a class tribal set so how did that go uh, you know, it was, there were definitely different challenges with Morning Tide than there were with uh, Future Sight, right? Future Sight had the that I, I remember I remember really distinctly looking at this grid because I think Lorwyn had like eight uh, classes, eight races, then, yeah, eight races, yeah, sorry, eight races, and then Morning Tide had five classes, uh, right? And so like you know, and of course then there's oh real, real, real quickly just because I want to explain to the audience a race would be like Goblin. Or elf, and a class would be like warrior or wizard. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, right, and so then there were uh, uh, <coughs> right there, there were the the classes, there were the races, and then basically, and then you overlay the colors, and you end up with this like huge matrix of of things. And so putting that together, uh, you know, it just it there, there were pluses, there were minuses. Um, I, I certainly. I certainly felt for players when, you know, they were experiencing that matrix through gameplay because, you know, it was just a little bit too much to care about. Yeah, that that sets directly led to New World Order getting created. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Right, yeah, because, right, I mean, when you're talking about Matrix, like, that is a mathematical thing. When you're talking about playing Magic and having fun, it's like, <laughs> of course, math matters for Magic. But yeah. the, the fun is really where you want to be uh, uh, focusing things. And so, yeah, New World Order uh, came about around that time also, yeah. Yeah, so I think the theme so far I, I see is you just get very complicated sets to work on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there's definitely – well, because, I mean, at the time, and I think that, you know, to New World Order's credit, it sort of reset how Magic R&D thought about it, right? We were – we a lot of our innovation was coming through complexity. And so, you know, with New World Order, with um, the reintroduction of the core set, you know, we sort of said, hey, let's step back. Let's hit on more resonance. Let's hit on these tropes and these themes that make magic so much fun. Uh, and, and you can sort of uh, you can sort of see that now in, in all of our newer new, newer design sets. Okay, so the next set you led was Conflux. Yeah, uh. so Conflux, Conflux was really fun, uh, you know, because one of the things to me about Conflux was it was all about Nicol Bolas, right? And... You know, it was one of the sets that had only that single Planeswalker in the set. And well, excuse me, Planeswalker, real quickly. So when Planeswalkers got introduced in Lorwyn, the plan at the time was it'd be a sporadic thing that every once in a while we do. Not not every set would have Planeswalkers was the idea originally. Um, and so, yeah, your set, right? The only Planeswalker I think in Conflux was Nicol Bolas. Yeah, yeah, Nicol Bolas was the only only one, and. You're right. Like, like now, typically a set will have around three planeswalkers in it, right? Uh, you know, three to five. And but yeah, so for Conflux, it was like, hey, okay, we're we're doing another planeswalker. And and I remember, I remember you being like, you know, basically saying, hey, the Nicol Bolas that we have just isn't cutting it. And you know, you sat down one day and you sent me, you know. Uh, this whole page, pages of designs, because basically you were like, look, you know, it's Nicol Bolas. It needs to be awesome. And it was exactly what the set needed. I, I was super ha happy with how Nicol Bolas came out in um, that set. And also I remember, too, just a, a fun little aside, that I believe that somehow the, the names of the Conflux cards uh, were shown ahead of time, you know, were leaked or whatnot. And... Uh, but, but none of the mechanics. And so I remember the internet's excitement over seeing Nicol Bolas Planeswalker, but just, and then having no idea what he did and speculating. Uh, so it really, to me, that sort of focus on Nicol Bolas, uh, uh, it was one of the things I was happy with how Conflux came out. Okay, so after Conflux, you next did Worldwake. So Conflux was the second set in Shards of Lara block. Next set you did was Worldwake, which was the second set in uh, Zendikar block. Yeah, Zendikar. Yeah, so... Uh, <clears throat> I didn't. I, I'm sure you've told the audience about uh, sort of your fights with uh, landfall and getting landfall made, but well, I, I always just, really, well, I always well, really. Yeah. I, I, I give you props here. Um, so the story I tell with Zendikar, people know, is that no one believed in the lands matter set, but one person, one person did believe, and that was you, Mike Turian. You were the yeah. only person that believed. So I want to give you props. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you. Yes, I, I did believe in you, Mark. I, I think that. Uh, you know, in retrospect, it sounds so obvious. It's like, of course, lands matter. Of course, that'll be awesome. But at the time, yeah, people really, really gave you a lot of hard time and a lot of grief about, like, how can lands possibly matter? <laughs> um, so anyhow, so as as part of that, you know, because I worked on the Zendikar team, uh, 
and and then I was leading World Wake. Uh, and World Wake is another set that's, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor was the only planeswalker in the set. And once again, it's like, all right, how are we going to make Jace awesome? Uh, you know, what what is what is this super awesome planeswalker who's, you know, in the Gatewatch and this and that? Like, how well, this is pre-Gatewatch. This is pre-Gatewatch. It, 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 it was pre-Gatewatch at the time, but just, yeah. you know. I'm he was a major player. Like, Jace was our... Was a major player. Yeah, Jace was one of our most... Famous and popular planeswalkers. Yes, yes, uh, and, and we knew that, and he was one uh, one of the most beloved of the original uh, of the original Lorewind Five. Um, and so, all right, we want to make World Wake awesome. We want to make Jace awesome, and then of course everything around land matters, and uh, you know, so it was, it was a really fun set to work on. And you know, of the sets that we're we're talking about, it's sort of I don't know. It, it, it has a special place in my heart for sure. If, if only you made Jace the Mind Sculptor good. <laughs> I, it turns out, yeah, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I always could, used to be. Yeah, I made the most powerful planeswalker of all time. Uh, now perhaps Oko is sort of uh, in competition for that. But um, yeah, Jace he turned out really powerful. I mean, and we wanted him to. You know, we were looking to sort of brand build and awareness build around Jason around planeswalkers um you know I, I probably would have gone back and done it slightly differently given a given learnings of the past but uh, he certainly did come out powerful yeah quick story behind that just so people don't know when we originally made planeswalkers and they they made the frames for planeswalkers i said to them uh design a three loyalty planeswalker and design a foil loyalty we're going to do a four loyalty so design the frame uh and I know when we, uh, I came to you when we were doing this and I said, it's time, it's time for the four. So uh, the one thing we gave you from design, you designed the card, but we said it has four loyalty abilities. That's the one thing we knew about it from design that, that uh, we had planned the frame from the beginning. Right. Yeah. We knew for sure. Yes. When, when it was handed off to me, it was mostly a blank slate. Uh, and also the, this is going to have four abilities and sort of vision principles around how they, we thought the the um, how those four abilities would would work together, right? We knew we wanted an ultimate, and then all right, what are these other three abilities going to work? And also, of course, since we're putting words on the card, those abilities both need to be cool and awesome and fit on a card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's something people don't think a lot about that we think all the time. But let's, like logistics, like that's awesome. It doesn't fit on the card. We do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, okay. for sure. Okay, next up is, the, I think, the last that you led the development for before you... you you've had many uh, jobs at Wizards. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so, Scars of Mirrodin. Yeah, Scars of Mirrodin. Uh, yeah. Mirrodin, the original Mirrodin was one of uh, my all-time favorite uh, magic sets, right? At the time, I was working on Scars of Mirrodin. Um, you know, I had a lot of success on the Pro Tour playing the set. I always really enjoyed equipment and the introduction of equipment. And so now it was that blending of Mirrodin with uh, the introduction of uh, Phyrexia, right? And, you know, one of the things to, to me that will always stick out about Scars of Mirrodin was bringing uh, Poison back to magic. I mean, you know, it's been part of magic, of course, but really Scars of Mirrodin uh, with Infect and how we're going to bring this Poison mechanic back and do it in a new, fun way. So a lot of... Scars of Mirrodin was both that the Mirrodin representing doing equipment, uh, which of course we had 
uh, some power level challenges with uh, prior and then doing, in fact, uh, in the right way. Yeah, the other thing, the little behind-the-scenes thing is I tried to bring Affinity back, but uh, R&D decided it was a little too risky, so we didn't end up doing it, but uh, I tried. (laughs) Yeah, I remember between the reintroduction of Poison and wanting Affinity to return, that I had a lot of conversations with a lot of uh, internal people uh, around, okay, is this possible? Is that possible? Because both of the mechanics were, you know, uh, controversial for, for very different reasons. Okay, so now, so the next, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do what I did with your pro tour career, with your uh, middle of magic career, uh, middle of <laughs> wizard's career. So you left R&D to go work in various other sections of the company. Where, where all did you work? You worked? Yes, in- so I, I went from uh, R&D, I went over to Organized Play uh, and worked on the Organized Play team uh, for a couple years. Then that brought me down to uh, the technology team, and I worked as a, a producer for the technology team. Eventually, that would lead me to become product manager for Magic Online, uh, and then uh, business and marketing manager for uh, Magic Duels. And then I got I came back to Magic R&D uh, a few years ago uh, as a principal product designer. Okay, so... Let's explain what that is, since, since uh, you and I have some idea, but the audience does not. What, what is uh, a principal product designer? What do you do? So, principal product designer, if you think of the vision designer as sort of that initial, like, your role of, hey, what is the vision of the set? And spending time and being like, okay, what matters for, you know, well, I'll look, say Throne of Eldraine. Yeah, Throne of Eldraine. Right? Let's start with Throne of Eldraine. That's a good example. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, Throne of Eldraine. Oh, how much of it is storybook? How much of it is fantasy? How much of it is fairy tale, right? And the the vision designer spends a lot of time both figuring out what that vision is and then building the structure and outline around the vision. So in my role, one of the big things I do is then I'm one of the people that carry the vision, you know, through, through game design. I work with the final designers to basically make sure that uh, there's connections there, but then throughout the whole company, right? I mean, I, I know that uh, we spend a lot of time here talking about magic R and D, but you know, just in my walk through Wizards, I was an organized play. Uh, I was on the brand team. I was on the technology team, you know, and then there's sales team, customer service, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so, a lot of my time and effort is spent to make sure that the vision for each of these sets gets carried through, so that. You know, when you're at the pre-release, your experience there, like, oh, if there is a pre-release kit, what's in that pre-release kit, uh, aligns with all the way back to the the early work that the vision designer does. Uh, so that's, I mean, of course, and, the, and then there's there's plenty more to it, but that's sort of like a brief encapsulation of, you know, one, one of my main functions. Right. So one of the things that you and I interact all the time is... Um, a lot I feel of your job is I sort of esta- I and my team establish a vision and then you sort of carry it through the product to make sure that the vision happens. Uh, a good example might be Acoria. I'm like, it's a monster set. And then once it's your job to make sure that everybody else knows it's a monster set, that the packaging looks like a monster set, that the marketing looks like a monster, you know, that, that everybody's working in the same direction because right. one of the kind of the whole point to a vision in the first place is it's about this, not about three other things. It's about this. Um, yeah. Like I know, well, for example, at Throne of Eldraine, you and I had a long talk because, 
So Throne of Eldraine was Fairy Tales meets Camelot. That was kind of the pitch from the very beginning. Uh, and the thing I say to you is, while Camelot is cool, it's not... Magic is done at 8,000 times. You know what I'm saying? It's like, look, there's knights. And, you know, like, that's that's cool, but that's something magic does all the time. And I'm like, you know, the fairy tale thing, we don't do all the time. And I sort of explained to you that if you're going to sell the set, it's not that the set doesn't have the Camelot stuff, but that's not the exciting thing. Look, magic has knights, finally. It's not, no one gets, you know, no one's going to go, <gasps> knights and magic. Um, but when you say, oh, look, it's Goldilocks, people, what? You know, they, it makes people stand up. And part of my job is to say to you, look, this is what's going to sort of sell the set. This is the part of the set that's going to be um, the exciting thing. And then your job is to make sure that everybody understands that. So, you know, it, it all, it, if all the teams, like I said, just walking through what you've done, there's so many teams at Wizards. Part of the reason I've been doing these interviews is like, look at all these different teams that exist. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and one of the, you know you mentioned Decoria and being a monster set, and, and I think part of that, like when I was working on the uh, the Godzilla, uh, the Godzilla box topper cards, right? It was like, hey, wh- how come this is the right promotion to do with the set? It's like, well, it's the monster set. Godzilla is the king of the monsters. Hey, let's take a look at you know building a partnership. How do we want to successfully in- introduce these cards to Magic, right? In a way that complements the vision. Uh, it complements the design, uh, so that way players who are excited about that type uh, of promotion can be excited about it, and players who want to focus on mutate and companion and uh, all the other monster mechanics can still be excited about that, right? And so that's that's you know the Godzilla promotion came along well after Vision Design had handed off, but sometimes those opportunities uh, arise and. You know, it's my role to say, hey, that doesn't fit within the vision of the set. Let's let's stay away from that. Yeah, the other thing that people may not realize is um, there's a lot of things that surround a set. You know, like nowadays, for example, sometimes we have commander product tied to a set. Or we might have, um, and or even just in any one set, you know, for example, uh, the command, uh, not sorry, the collector pack. Like there's a lot of components that happen in a set now. Um, like when, when I think of you right now, these days... I'll be writing some article and I'm, I'm messaging you going, okay, what's in this? What's in that? What, you know, and, and making sure I have everything straight so that I can communicate it. Um, and you have to keep track of all that stuff. Yeah, I do. I both have to keep track of the collector booster information and I have to be, uh, you know, working with the internal teams on planning it out, making sure that um, our print vendors have a good idea of it, making sure that our internal operations people have, have a full understanding of, hey, this is what, this is what this collector booster represents because a lot of what booster fun is, is, you know, we're trying to have fun with it. We're trying to go to these fun, amazing art styles and introduce these cards in a fun way. Uh, so tip that means that there's just variation between what we did with, uh, Acoria and did with Eldraine and, you know, Theros beyond death. Like there's a little bit less of that typical cadence. Um, and we're just introducing more variation because, for each set, we want to be representing that set uh, as well as possible. And you, nowadays, you uh, you do a lot of the, what we call premiere sets, uh, the, the non-core premiere sets is, is what you tend to work on, right? Yeah, right. So, I mean, of sets that have been uh, released, uh, El- Eldraine, uh, Throne of Eldraine, excuse me, uh, Akoria, Layer of Behemoths, uh, Zendikar Rising, which I know... Uh, I think you'll have already talked about once uh, <laughs> once this goes live, uh, and so 
those are some sets, um, as well as Double Masters. Uh, so those are sets just coming out here in you know 2019 and in this year 2020 that uh, I, I've I've uh, been the lead for. Yeah, the like I said, one of the things that I it's hard. I think when I tell stories about like I came up with a card and the people are like and it got made or something, you know, like I I had an idea for a set and it got made. They they miss the hundreds of people working on it, you know, and not obviously R and D is part of it, but as you're talking about, there's just so many different sections that all have to come together. It is not like like I talk a lot about getting R and D on board. Then you have to get everybody else on board, which is a huge number of teams. Yeah, totally. I mean, one of the things that's, you know, having gone from being a magic designer to now a principal product designer for magic, one of the things that's very clear is no matter how many times I've thought, oh, and now I've communicated all of the details, right? Now it's, now I've thought of everything. Basically, as soon as I make a post or communication, I get back, you know, five poignant questions from the team that weren't in that because there are so many details. I think that I could likely come on and do a half hour talk about how we change, uh, how we handle collector numbers uh, uh, in, the, in the bottom text of the car, of the card <laughs> with Eldrine, right? And so it's just like, oh, here it is. Here's a number that's on the card that you always see and look at. And like somebody, in, and in fact, lots of somebodies are out there being like, all right, how are collector numbers being handled for the set? How do we want to order these, et cetera? You know, what are the rules behind them? Yeah, then the interesting way, like collector numbers is a great example. I bet the average player doesn't think. I mean, they they know they exist and they use them, but I don't think people would think the amount of work hours that go into collector numbers. Like if you ask the average player, they go, oh, "Well, how how hard is it?" And, and they have no idea. They have no idea the amount right. of hours. <laughs> yes, they have. They have. Yeah, and and rightfully so because I mean, from from our standpoint, it's like, oh, when you open a pack and when you're playing a game of Magic. We want you focused on on the fun, right? Yeah. And if you're looking down at the footer, uh, <laughs> the footer, and seeing, oh, I wonder why this card is two sixty eight slash two seventy, right? Then then we haven't done our job. I want you focusing on, oh, this is a great magic card. You know, look at this cool play I made. This is the deck I want to build. Those are the things that you know. That that's why we all play magic. Yeah, and when you look at a magic card, it's a great thing. You just take a normal magic card and look at it, and every aspect of that card, no matter what part you look at, some team has spent a lot more time than you could possibly imagine on making sure that is what it needs to be. Whether it's the name, the mana cost, the art, the the card type, the collector number, the legal text, you know, the flavor text. Like it's every piece of the card. There's a lot that goes on to every single piece, and. Uh, it is definitely, anyway, it's, it's, I'm hoping a lot of these interviews get people to see that of all the people that are working on all these different things. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad you're doing them. Uh, because I, I think that, you know, in a podcast, it is, it is a, a really fun way to sort of open people's eyes. I mean, I, I remember back, like your original question was talking about, oh, you know, how did you start at Wizards? Like people now ask me the question, like, oh, did you always know you were going to be a game designer? Like, is that something that when you were growing up you wanted to be? I was like, I, I didn't even realize that was a possibility. Like, it wasn't <laughs> even in my mind space that, like, you know, when I'm playing, you know, uh, Axis and Allies with my dad or playing Risk with my cousin, that, like, somebody makes this game. And now, of course, even, you know, with those games, too, 
all of these details of how how this box of components gets onto a shelf and insulted me. I have a, such a greater understanding of it, but you know, as a kid, it wasn't like, oh yeah, that'll be my career. But here we are, and now it is, and it's, it's yeah. Awesome. The it's funny now when I open a game and I play a brand new game, how I'll marvel at components sometimes. Like, wow, they really handle these components well. <laughs> Right, right. Like, oh, look at, look at these molds. My goodness. So, anyway, it's funny. It's kind of funny uh, how, uh, I, like, my olden days when I used to be a, a writer, like, I, I'd go to a movie or something, and you can see the structure when you understand it. And it, it's interesting how when you get to know something, you, you can't not see the behind-the-scenes stuff because that's what you do all the time. So, Yeah, well, and that's how, I mean, to me, it's one of the, the great ways that I know that I'm really uh, – you know, still in love with magic and into the game is like when I play, right? Like, yes, if I stop and think about it, I'll be like, oh, here's this, here's this aspect that sort of is unlocked. But typically I'm just in the game. I'm just having fun, right? I'm thinking about what my next play is, right? I'm, I'm which, not which is attacking, about... I believe. <laughs> yeah, which is it's always, it's always attacking. Yes. <laughs> always attack. Uh, that's a good, that's a good rule of thumb. Okay, so I, uh, I've appro- I'm approaching my desk now, so uh, we, we need to wrap this up. So any, oh la- any last thoughts before uh, I get to work? Uh, any last thoughts? Well, I, you know, I, I think to me, man, I didn't, I didn't know about this. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited for Zendikar Rising. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be so much fun. I mean, every time that we go and we revisit a world that. Um, that I worked on, you know, originally, right? Like you mentioned us working on original Zendikar together. There's always just that thrill of like, Oh, where is, where is this world going to go next? Where is this plane going to go next? Um, so, I, I'm really excited about that upcoming release. Uh, you know, that, I guess that, I don't know. By the way, uh, I get a great joy every time we do another Zendikar set, just cause the, the number of years that people just didn't believe we would ever do it. So anyway, um. Right, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's exactly what, you know, I'm going for of like, oh, you know, if we do a set with reprints, like I super love when we're doing a, a set with reprints and I'm like, oh, I made this card. Like I can go back and check my files and, you know, talk about the design of it. Uh, you know, just seeing, seeing reprints, seeing us revisit places, uh, in that way. That's so much fun. And of course too, I mean, since we mentioned future site, I super love when a card from Future Sight gets introduced <laughs> uh, into Magic. That's always uh, it's always fun because you know, especially now, so many years after Future Sight's release, like you know, the <laughs> the stars really need to align now yeah. for one of those Future Sight cards to uh, uh, happen. Not not relating that to Zendikar Rising at all. <laughs> I'm just uh, t- just talking about that in general. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. So I, I see my desk. So we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thanks, Mike, for joining us. Thanks, Mark, for having me. And anyway, guys, I will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>